Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 44. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having a fantastic week. We have got another great guest on the show, Sharon Spano. Uh, she is a PhD in human and organizational systems. She's an author and corporate business strategist, a workforce expert, a professional speaker, and former radio host of Work Smart Life. That's no pressure on me then, Sharon. Sharon empowers business leaders and entrepreneurs to maximize performance, improve employee engagement, and increase bottom line results. She's also got a book coming out called The Pursuit of Time and Money, Step into Radical Abundance and Discover the Secret to a Meaningful, Prosperous Life. They are grounded in research in adult human development. Sharon, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, Jeff. Thank you so much for the opportunity to visit and chat with you today. I'm very excited. Brilliant. And Sharon, could you give us a little bit of a, a background of your of your story and your career that's brought you to this point today? Well, it's it's a it's a long and varied career. I think in my earlier days, I was uh, grounded in doing some legislative reform, very much an advocate for people with disabilities, and that led me into the speaking arena. Um, I started my company in 1997. And the speaking uh, career at that time was pretty intense. I was doing about 150 cities a year. Uh, So it was a lot of travel. And I loved that. It really gave me an opportunity to dive into the American workforce and even North America because I did a lot in Canada as well. Uh, Now my work has segued as a result of my research. I focus a lot, uh, intend to draw business leaders and entrepreneurs who are often smack in the middle of some kind of personal or professional, either a dilemma, a challenge or maybe even a transition. And the work is grounded, as you said, in my in my field of adult human development and, and transformation. We're really looking at consciousness, if you will, in very practical ways. And then also uh, something called integral theory. So I'm, I'm certified as a professional integral coach, which is really a methodology that allows me to analyze and explore the, the, the dilemma or whatever the client's going through, through multiple very sophisticated lenses so that we can help them, you know, maximize their performance. Wow, that's brilliant. Okay, so your your new book um, that's coming out, that Pursuit of Time and Money, which is the pursuit of an awful lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, that balance between trying to get in the time to be productive, but also wanting to maximize the, the results on that. What sort of challenges do you find that seem to be quite a common theme with the entrepreneurs that you work with? Well, I actually was just writing a blog earlier today, and I think we're seeing more and more of this in, in the workforce, um, what I will call scarcity thinking, because the world has picked up the pace, as you know. I mean, we're all being on, you know, we're on call 24-7, and, and with the technology and all the amazing, you know, opportunity with technology, that's the good side of it, but it can create a sense of scarcity in that, you know, things are, are costing a lot. And again, we have to respond very quickly. So time and money is always at the forefront. Um, I'm, lo- I'm looking at time and money from a different perspective. We're not talking about the management of it so much as we're looking at what is your, your paradigms or your meaning making systems or your consciousness around them, uh, around those two, what I feel are very important resources that impact 
um, many, many of our decisions throughout the day, often of them, often many of them, not even at a conscious level. So what I'm hoping to do is open a conversation where we're seeing amazing results as people explore, uh, for example, their early childhood stories around time and money, because that's where many of our paradigms uh, begin to root and take hold. And then we're looking at, you know, how are they impacting uh, your world today, what you value, you know, how you, again, utilize the resources and, um, you know, where are there opportunities for change uh, and improvement because of the stress level and the frustration? So to, to in response to your question, I'm seeing um, leaders making scarcity or fear-based decisions because of the pace that we're in and the, the rapidly changing uh, global society that we're in. Certainly here in the States, there's a lot of um, confusion around our political environment, you know, and I, I think that's true for other parts of the country. I know I was just in the UK and you guys are going through some transitions yourself. So all of those things, uh, the uncertainty of the of the environment and society at large, I think, uh, plays a major role in how leaders are feeling confident about the decisions that they're making. And so, again, I'm hoping the book will, will uh, give some insight there on, on where there's room for change. I just had, for instance, one of uh, my former clients reach out to me who was in the middle of the book. And I, w- I was very um, honored to hear him say, you know, Sharon, I'm on every page of this book. I see myself here everywhere. And so um, we've just reengaged for for coaching to help him, you know, kind of think through some of the ways that he's running his own business. So th- those are the kinds of, of uh, responses that we're getting even early on. It's very mm-hmm. exciting. Brilliant. And, and, and actually, you bring up that good point about the beliefs that we have about those sort of things, because I know when I'm working with my clients and even when I'm meeting people and they're speaking to me about the sort of challenges they're having, it is that um, their their relationship with money because of how they've been brought up. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. Money's hard to get. Um, and also how they've been educated on how they use time. And it's it's an interesting it's an it's an interesting um, topic when you start talking about it. It absolutely is, and and again, I think some of the paradigms that you know that we're seeing uh, one one of the the things that's been interesting to me we have on on the website thetimemoneybook.com, dot com um, an assessment that I developed several year, years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's called uh, the Time Money Inventory, and it's a it's a simple way to get a sense of where an individual is on the spectrum between scarcity and abundance. But what's been fascinating to me in in the early renderings is that um, scarcity on one end is is fairly obvious. I think you know many of us can see that in ourselves when it when it is that obvious. Abundance um, equally so, but it's when you get into the middle range of moderate scarcity and moderate abundance that I'm seeing very subtle nuances. Um, and, and that's where many of my clients land is it's the responsible uh, leader or business owner, entrepreneur who does all the right things. Um, but he's actually, I mean, it can look like abundance because he's saving or, or doing all the, the things that he's been taught to do, but, but he's actually doing it from a place of fear, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's really moderate scarcity. So that's been an exciting thing for me to explore. And again, I'm looking at this through a developmental lens. So in the United States, for instance, we know that 60% based on the research uh, of the American workforce lands in what we call the expert or achiever stage. And those have a lot of different uh, elements, you know, to those two different stages. But there's a there's a vast difference between the two in terms of how they perceive time and money. 
for instance, the expert stage, and that's where you might see, for instance, um, you know, engineers land there sometimes or financial advisors. They tend to focus more on efficiency and, and you know, crossing every T and, you know, everything has to be done in a certain time frame where the achiever is more the entrepreneur who's going to just get out there and make things happen. And then within those two kind of open-ended uh, frameworks, there's a lot of activities and actions that can slide us into scarcity and or abundance. So my contention is not to put us in, in categories that are hard and fast because we're too complex as human beings, but to help us see the nuances and the many levels of complexities. And then again, when you start to think about, well, where is it working for me and where is it not? Um, then the work is about the developmental growth and, and what is it that you're willing to do to step into higher levels of consciousness and performance. Yeah, that's brilliant. Because I suppose another one, that, uh, another topic around this that really gets me interested is how people sabotage their success when it comes to that sort of thing. What sort of things have you experienced in that? Well, that's a really great question, Jeff. And I'll tell you that part of what speared my curiosity in this direction uh, was I actually had an employee, and I think any business leader or entrepreneur can relate to this. I had an employee some years ago that I brought on. He was very, very, very smart. And I had high hopes uh, for our work together because we both had a very good creative synergy together. But I could never get him to perform. I just couldn't get him to create results. And I had brought him on board uh, to break me into a, a completely different niche market. And he just couldn't do it. And I spent a lot of time and energy in training him and whatnot. And one day we were at yet another conference on the West Coast of the States here. And for whatever reason, I asked the question, you know, what do you believe about people who have money. And his response astounded me. He said, I think they're, they're greedy and they're oppressive and they're egocentric. Wow. And, and it was, yeah, yeah. And so in that moment, I realized, well, you know, no wonder I'm not getting any results. Like if you believe that, why would you want to be like those people? And he had a history of stops and starts and sabotage and you know, I knew his background and somehow I just missed this, that this was such a pervasive belief system in him that he literally, you know, and, and still, as I know it today, continues to sabotage his career. Uh, obviously, we parted ways, but it was the beginning of my starting to notice that um, these belief systems and, and if they're deep rooted in scarcity belief systems really do equate to self-sabotage on a variety of levels, maybe not as dramatically as as he seemed to engage uh, in, in such behaviors. But I see it in, in, you know, CEOs who are scared maybe of the board. And so they make, you know, single-minded fear-based decisions maybe on one metric, you know, without having the capacity to look at the whole system and fully evaluate what's going on here. Yeah. And have you found that, have you found that, um, an, an entrepreneur has a different set to say, let's say a corporate high senior management um, mindset or attitude towards these sort of things, or are they kind of like similar? Well, they, they, you know, again, it can't, it's never that black and white as you well know. I think, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. Um, I think for us, the difference is, and what I see out in the, in the, in the environment out here, certainly in the States is that we're all wearing so many hats as entrepreneurs, you know, 
itself, I mean, you have to engage in a lot of technology and marketing in a in a far different way that requires, you know, I know I have a lot of people around me that I outsource things to in order to just stay in the game. So what I see in entrepreneurs is it's, it's more, you know, they, again, they're going to get out there and, and create results. My husband is the you know, the epitome of an entrepreneur and he has a famous saying, you know, you can't hunt from the cave, you know, you got to get out there. And and I I think entrepreneurs are really good at that. But then we have seasons um, where, you know, you either have a lot of time and no money, you know, or I mean, a a lot of time, yeah, a lot of time and no money or a lot of money and no time. And so part of that conversation is uh, how do I learn to integrate, you know, what it is I'm doing so that I have a life that is holistic and, and integral and, and, you know, I'm not always chasing the next contract, but I'm actually living a life. And that's a big part of the book, Jeff, is, you know, I talk about something called the cycle of freedom, which I believe uh, begins with stewardship and ultimately unravels into um, greater compassion, uh, generosity, gratitude, and ultimately a greater love for self and others and, and ultimately humanity. And so, you know, where am I putting my time and energies and my money to me really equates to what I value most, you know? Hmm. And, and yeah, cause that's a, it's a really good point as well. And does, how does, um, cause one of the things we, we, we just, we, I mentioned in your um, intro was the radical abundance. What, um, what is radical abundance? Well, I see it as a mindset. You know, I I, I say this about prosperity as well, that to me, the radical abundance is really doing what I need to do in my business and in my life such that I have a, a meaningful life of joy and prosperity no matter what the circumstances of my life are. Um, And we all go through seasons in life, I think. Um, I know I certainly have where business is good or, you know, life is is good and then something hits us. Um, You know, I, for instance, lost my son in 2008 who was physically disabled. And so, you know, that was quite an upset in our our lives. I hear my husband and I have three businesses between us. And, you know, my son was critical for four years. And so how do you, you know, you're entrepreneurs and you've got a, you've got insurance and you've got, you know, all medical bills and, you know, all these things. And so uh, the radical abundance for me is always about staying focused on what is my calling and purpose in life such that no matter what's hitting me, I still do know that my life is is meaningful and maybe not always joyful and, and purposeful um, in the in the same way. You know, it could look different, again, depending on the season of life. Um, but again, I say I say it's a place to come from, not a place to get to. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it, it's it's those peaks and troughs. It's those it's those feasts and famines that so many entrepreneurs and you know business gen- business owners in general try to minimize as best they can and play it that sometimes maybe play too safe mm-hmm. well I, I would say I was guilty of that during my son's life because part of me um, was afraid to almost get too successful and have to travel even more you know and especially when he got ill and so you know you you again you know that's where i think it's important as entrepreneurs to look at you know what it, what are our strengths and talents and what is the purpose of our organization and even our life and then and then how do i 
you know, morph and change and integrate it, uh, depending on what's going on. And I, I had many, many days and nights where I was literally running my business out of the hospital bed next to my son and my husband and I trade off, you know, it's like, okay, who's, who's, who's got the most important meetings today, or do you have a speaking engagement Then I'll be here while you go do that? You know? And, and of course I never realized it was going to go on for four years or I probably would have just quit everything. But you keep thinking, you know, this is the week it's going to turn around and you've got all these clients and contracts and, you know, you, you just do the best you can. But I think the message that I want to get out, particularly to entrepreneurs, is you, you don't necessarily have to do it all perfectly all of the time. Um, knowing where you are uh, and knowing how to honor where you are and how to, you know, morph and change and integrate, as I said, in those moments to me is very, very important. Um, you know, I wasn't working out, for instance, when my son was in the hospital. I didn't have time for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and I'm a person that, you know, tries to work out at least three to four times a week. So, so you, you know, you make choices. Yeah, absolutely. And so is there any, is there, is there, is there any sort of, um, tips or strategies that you could you can suggest to get people to start on their on their way to look at how they how they associate with time and money and how they can improve that relationship well i always say with the first moment of awareness comes opportunity for change so the first thing is to examine your early childhood stories and i literally will have my clients um excuse me i will have my clients um you know, just literally write down an answer to that question that I gave that gentleman so many years ago, write a page, you know, what is it you believe about money? What is it that you believe about time? And just sit with that. Don't judge it. Just accept that. Obviously, I'd love them to go to my website. And and if they purchase the book, they can do the time and money inventory. Um, You know, it's free, it's anonymous, all that. And certainly the book has a lot of, uh, I've, I've, I've put in the book reflective practices to help People really examine that that inner dialogue um, around you know specific uh, areas that are you know linked and concerned with the whole time and money conversation. Uh, so that's that's a very big piece. But I again, if if people are really struggling um, with the management element of it, that's not my focus. But there are so many resources out there right now on the internet and and, and even in written form that I think you know if you're really in trouble, you want to get some financial advice and some support. That and I think people often think that they can't go to a financial advisor unless they have a lot of money. Um, you know, that's a myth. And that's exactly when you need to go to someone that can help you get on track. And I'm, I'm interested more in the mindset behind it, because otherwise, when you go to these guys, you don't you don't even hear what they tell you. Yeah. And it becomes a, it becomes a, a, a just a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? It continues going on until you get into the deep rooted cause of what's going on. That's the only time, that's when the shift would occur, when you can understand it and you can push through it. Mine was always linked to my intelligence. I didn't mm. believe I could make money, um, create an income doing this sort of stuff because I, I left school at 16. I didn't get qualifications. But it wasn't until my illness and I came out the other side and I went, well, why not? Yeah. Now, I've, now, I've got, now I've got life experience, which also sometimes trumps the education side because you got you went you went through it rather than just read it through the book and then then I got passionate about understanding it and then that took it but it it is it's a it's a really interesting topic that can pull you from so from so many different ways Mm -hmm. exactly 
And you're lucky, Jeff, that you you've you you understood that about yourself early on and you had awareness of it so that you can shift. You know, I meet a lot of people who who never have that awareness. They just feel stuck and they don't even know why. And mm. so that that's that's the exciting part of the work that I do. And I'm sure, you know, in your way with your clients as well, is when we can help someone we're working with see that they really have more potential than they even realize. And I think sometimes we take our giftedness for granted. I remember years and years ago, one of my dearest friends who was like a mentor to me, um, she said to me, you know, Sharon, you take so much of what you are capable of doing for granted because it's easy for you. Mm -hmm. And I was so struck by that. That, you know, I didn't, I could, I didn't see value in it because it was easy for me to speak or it was easy mm. for me to write or, you know, whatever the, the case might be. Yeah. Um, so I'm past all that now. But <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes we people have- see the results and they don't see the story that got you to the point. Exactly. You know, they don't, they don't, you know, it's like, and I've got many friends that, you know, we joke on and people say, well, you were an overnight success. And it's like, you have, you don't see the decade of fighting or the, you know, of scrapping to try and get everything sorted. You just see kind of like what you want to see. You mm-hmm. don't really understand the true journey of what it's taken to get to a certain point. And I think well, that's the know, truth. That, that is so interesting what you just stated, because I see that a lot where people will compare and assume that it was easy for you to achieve success and therefore I can't do it because it would be too hard for me. And I think uh, comparison is another form of scarcity, you know, that, that I see will often. And it's really something to watch out for in today's market because it's really easy to look at the vanity numbers that we all, you know, long for in terms of the social media and, you know, whatever, uh, and go, oh, well, he's got more than I do. And that, and that can stop you in your tracks. And so um, that's something I battle with. You know, it's it's real easy for me to get stuck there and go, and I have to just go stay focused on the work, stay focused on what you know, stay focused on on your purpose and your mission and what you want to offer and the difference that you want to make. And my husband has another great saying: uh, "Don't worry about the other guy; let the other guy worry about you." And um, I, I have to, yeah, I have to try to stay in that conversation. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Presentation Genius. You might remember Simon from Presentation Genius from way back in episode five. It's one of the highest downloaded episodes of the show, probably because of the sheer amount of content Simon gave away. Well, now he's giving away more at his only public training course in the UK this year. It's on September the 15th, and there's all the information you need at presentationgenius.info forward stroke Durham. What's more, Success IQ listeners can get 13% off whatever ticket you buy by using the coupon SUCCESS13IQ. Presentations are such a key part of your business success. I've seen Simon work. I can absolutely recommend his stuff. And what I would say is learn from the best and become a presentation genius yourself. Okay, welcome back. We're on the second part of the show. This is a chance where I get the opportunity to put Sharon on the hot seat and ask her the set of questions I ask every single guest who appears on the show. So, Sharon, are you ready? I am absolutely ready. (laughs) Okay, so question number one is how much time a week do you spend on self-development? 
Well, that's a great question because I don't even know that I can quantify it in that oh, I have two answers. One is I have very specific rituals and practices that I engage in, which I'll be happy to share if you're interested. But really, because my work is in human development and consciousness, for me, it's not so much about time as a way of life in that everywhere I go, I feel like I'm engaged in some form of human development. It's just kind of how I think, you know, I'm always trying to learn and glean from this, but I I do have practices of prayer and meditation and I work out and I read a lot and blogs and podcasts and my spiritual work. You know, I do a lot of things um, to keep myself at my maximum and to increase my potential all the time. Yeah. It's interesting because I absolutely love people watching. It's it's Mm -hmm. where I get, you know, I'm, I'm not an avid blogger just because of the struggles I have with writing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I love sitting in a coffee shop and and try and just watch people um how they act how they interact and i remember when i started doing when i first started to train as a therapist um in that part of my in my journey is one of the things i used to do is i used to love the the body language and just try and work out the kinds of things that they were thinking or were they in a good mood based on how they were interacting it was it really was just and i still love doing it now and my wife often says you you're doing nothing again i go sorry i know okay well what's what's going on in the world but it's yeah. it's you know it's it's such a people are just so interesting well and it's a state then for me like development is a state because even in yeah. the moments you're describing you're learning more about yourself and human nature and yeah. And, you know, that's just all part of how we learn to make meaning and, and sense. And we, we become better at, I believe, mm. interacting with other people when we're that aware. And, and do, you, do you have a favorite podcast, uh, apart from this one, obviously, um, do you have a favorite podcast that you like listening to? Well, there's a lot of them that I'm listening to now, most particularly because I've been on several in, in light of the book. But yeah. um, I think the one that pops up for me right now is um, – um, uh, Blessed Nation with Jay Marsh. He he does a, an interesting uh, approach to things, and I've been on there twice now, and I just love okay. his energy and his attentiveness. Yeah, but there's cool. there's several. Yeah, excellent. Okay, okay. So question number two is: What is your favorite person development book, and why? Well, it's kind of the same thing. I have so many genres. Like I'm reading usually five or six books at a time, depending on my mood and my brain capacity. So I might read spiritual books at night or, you know, things linked to my business. But um, Mm. I read a lot of different devotionals. And then I might the most recent one or my two favorites, I should say, one is recent, one isn't. But I love essentialism. Uh, oh, you know, brilliant. Yeah. And I read that years ago when it first came out and I, I, I love him and he actually endorsed my book, but I, I love the work and I'm actually ready to getting ready to read it again. Uh, yep. It changed my life. And then I just yep. finished on the way to the UK when I went out to visit, you know, you guys uh, in your part of the world uh, in June. Uh, I couldn't put it down. I read it all the way over, didn't even sleep. A Field of Compassion by Judy Canetto. And um, that was important to me because I'm interested in quantum physics to some degree, not that I have the brain for that, but, you know, I'm interested in systems and and fields of energy and all that stuff. So um, she does it in a way that even someone like me uh, could understand. And I love, yeah, so that was one of my... Essentialism, it made me look at things very, very different. It's one of of my, on my my wish list is to get him as a guest. Because oh, yeah. I think I think his content is absolutely first class. It's brilliant, yeah. and it, yeah. it, he he explains it so well. You know, sometimes you can read these books and they go off, 
he's just he's very succinct in what he talks about and it's really really good yes absolutely he's he's an amazing guy um okay question number three is what is your favorite app well, same thing. I have a lot of them, but I knew you were going to ask me this. So I use, uh, there's two that came to mind. One is uh, I use Insight Timer for uh, meditation, you know, to time my meditation. And then I use um, Day One for my journaling. I, and I'm, I, I'm not always as consistent as I'd like to be in my journaling, but I'm getting back into doing morning pages. And I use that because you can tag it and, you know, it's, it's just an easy way to keep track of everything. Yeah, it's lovely to go back the way they've got to set it up because I know they've upgraded it just recently. But it's lovely to go back, and I, I use I, I I take quite a few pictures and I I use that as sort of the memory of the day kind of thing. Oh, but cool. it's um it's really it's it's just and I love the way it goes across platforms. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's phone or iPad, it's really really good. Okay, so day one. Um, how long have you journaled? Just out of curiosity. Oh my gosh like forever. But again, I'm not as consistent because if I'm working on a book or my blogs are behind, you know, which I am right because of the book, then I don't, I don't journal, but, um, have tons of, you know, written journals in my office. It's nice to have on the computer now. Yes. Yes. And number four is what is your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you? I think it's, you know, alluding to the conversation I had earlier about the gentleman, because I, Mm. I hired someone unwittingly, uh, who was not committed to the work and, and what it really taught me, um, I spent, I, I put too much time and effort into it. Like I should have ended it earlier than I did. And so it taught me to be more discerning about who I bring into my business and even into my world in general. Um, I tend to maybe trust a little too quickly. So, um, that was, that was a big learn. It cost me a lot of money to learn that lesson. But, yeah. but I the, learned they well. often do, don't they? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Question number five is, what is your challenge in balancing life and work, and how do you manage them? Well, I feel like I manage them a lot better now. I mean, because I was used to doing all of this in the midst of rearing a child with a disability. So I actually feel like I have a lot of time now. Uh, I work hard and I play hard and I know how to come, you know, to stop work and, and relax. Uh, But I think the biggest challenge goes to what I was talking about earlier, just being an entrepreneur and wearing all the hats. And, and, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm focusing more on marketing than I should creative work or whatever. And it's, it's always that balance between how, how to put my, my uh, energy into the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And how do you, how do you manage that? How do you kind of like go, okay, I'm doing a little bit too much of the marketing say, how do you kind of like give yourself a way to, to shift over? Do you have trigger points that says, okay, I've spent way too much time doing this thing. How, how, well, I don't know that you could ever, yeah, in today's time, I don't know that you could ever spend too much time marketing, but well, um, yes, very I, true. Yeah, I do what for myself, what I do for my clients, and, and I, um, I, I have a process where I develop a strategic roadmap for the year, and we, we map out two initiatives, um, and then I break it down into quarters, and so that helps me know I have what I call the six pillars of excellence. So I look at the pillars. And then I can see, okay, this is in order to achieve this initiative, um, you know, and usually it's a growth or an efficiency initiative. Then I say, I can say, okay, well, I need to do this in technology now, or, you know, maybe it can happen in the second quarter, or this has to happen in marketing. It's a way I found to organize things that really is simple and helps my clients get it. Cause I'm not one that believes in 
strategic plans that sit on a shelf. Um, they just don't work in this rapid pace society. So I do that for myself. And I usually, I usually map that out like in, um, you know, December. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I started to use that quarterly strategy, um, a couple of years ago and it's amazing how much more focused I can get Yeah, by breaking it down rather than just going this year, I'm going to do this. It's just made, it's made life so much easier. Otherwise, it's overwhelming because, again, you know, massively, you can get distracted, you know. Yeah. Question number six is what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Well, I think success for me has to do with living your purpose or calling in life. And, of course, you have to monetize that. Um, so I think for me was, um, kind of what I was saying earlier is I wish, and I would, I would offer any entrepreneur to realize, uh, and value what, what are the talents or the information or, or the knowledge, you know, however you want to couch it, what is it that I have to offer? Um, and to trust that you deserve to be compensated for that. Yeah. I wish I'd known that earlier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you may have already answered this, but question number seven is what is your definition of success? Well, yeah, again, I think it it has to do with the understanding of your purpose and how you live that out in your work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I met so many people when I was traveling around the country that were just working for the paycheck and really there wasn't meaningful work to them. And that was really distressing to me. So I'm very big on knowing your purpose and then having a clear strategy that is linked to it so that you can implement it. Um, You know, part of the way that uh, the reason that I was able to do all that I did while my son was critically ill was I was on fire for the work that I was doing. Um, You know, so I didn't get beat down by that. It actually helped keep me stable through that, uh, you know, period of transition. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Number question number eight is um the life lesson question. So you get to pick a number between one and fifty, and whatever number that lands on it is linked to a lesson. Um, and then we can discuss that and see what comes out as a discussion point. You're happy I'm happy for you to disagree with it because it's a lesson. So we'll see what comes up. So pick a number between one and fifty, Sharon. I think I'll go smack in the middle with twenty five. Twenty five. Don't judge too quickly. Mm. Perfect. So, um, so yeah, for me, for me, this was, um, I guess when I came out, when I came out of my illness, I had a, I had a very different way of looking at things. I, I was able to start looking at things from not necessarily the way I, the best way I would describe it is, is, you know, in, um, the, oh, I've forgotten the name of the book now. Seven Habits of... Yeah, Highly Effective People. That's Mm -hmm. the one. I do apologize for getting that book. And you know when he talks at that, that story he talks about when he's sitting on the train and he's looking at, he's he's watching the children messing about and he realizes that actually where he's getting upset because the kids are just running amok, he all of a sudden gets that paradigm shift because he tells them that his wife's just died and his kids have just said goodbye and all of that stuff. And yeah. what, what I noticed is is when, when I went through my depression and all of this, that sort of stuff, when I came out the other side, I, I always used to – I don't always do it, granted, but I, was, I always kind of put my foot on the brake before I judged because I understood that there's, we don't know the full story. So sometimes mm-hmm. we have to be a little bit, you know, a little bit conscientious and a little bit more relaxed in our thoughts before we tear into it, so to speak. 
I totally agree, Jeff. And I'll tell you, that's that's one I've struggled with earlier in my career, and it can still sneak up on me if I'm not careful because I'm trained to have a critical eye and see what's broken, you know, in a system or company or whatever. And, you know, let's. So I, I totally agree with that, and and I certainly had that come home to me when I was speaking on the road because I met people who were in such you know, often trauma, trauma, you know, traumatic situations, and yet they're going to work every day. And that was a, a big lesson for me is, you know, people are, are judging them maybe because they had a bad day or a bad mood or a moment. Uh, when you don't know that woman just lost her, you know, I had a woman, I'll never forget, lost her two sons. They were murdered in her living room in Memphis. And here that woman got up every day and went to work after such a, you know, horrifying experience. So I never forgot her. And, and I, I, I teach that wherever I go, because um, we get so egocentric, and we want people to live up to our expectations. And I certainly can fall into that trap easily enough. But um, yeah. that's a good yeah. one. So I totally yeah. resonate with what you're saying. Yeah, because it's a, it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because it's like you go in there because you, you know, you go in there and you're hired for a specific job. And you go in there to support but and sometimes you, you, you you're so passionate about supporting people that sometimes you've just got to, I mean, which, you know, we've done the training and that sort of thing, but, you know, it managers, I see it all the time with managers. They just think about the result. They don't think about the person. Right. And sometimes the person, you know, at the end of the day, at least my, my way of looking at it is, is behind every single business system, there's a person that's got a, well, almost every business system. There's a person at the other end and depending on their mental state and how they are, and how they see the world and how effective and I guess how much they like, like their job, that will have a result on their, their productivity and the results that they are going to put into it. Well, you're absolutely right. And when I was in your country last month, one of the, the great things I learned from John Winnington, uh, I was there to look at systems and something called constellations, is he reminded us, um, that every person that comes in, you know, they bring with them in the background a multitude of systems, you know, prior jobs and uh, prior, you know, families and marriages. And, you know, there's all these multiple systems that are within their own consciousness that they bring to the party. It's a wonder that any of us can get along at all in a given day <laughs> when you think of it like that, you know. Um, but that really resonated with me. He uses the analogy of a peacock and, you know, how a peacock has the big feathers and then there's these little circles of feathers in the midst of the uh, of their yeah, – and, and he said, every think of every one of those as a system that that person holds, you know, behind them like a peacock. And, boy, it's yeah. it's kind of overwhelming to think of that, but it helps us, I think, move to a place of honor, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so um, – you get an opportunity now. The floor is now yours. So how can people get hold of the book? How can people find more out more about you? Um, you know, we'll also put the stuff on the uh, on the show notes as well. But um, please share how people can find out more about you. Well, certainly uh, we have a, a microsite called thetimemoneybook.com, and we have multiple resources on there. Some you don't even have to buy the book to, to get them. So I want to encourage people, uh, particularly the cycle of freedom that I mentioned is available on that site. They can learn more about the book there. And then it's also linked to my, my website, SharonSpano.com, and they can reach me through there. Um, and I'm, of course, on all the social media platforms, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and, and um, Facebook and all that 
that good stuff. So I'm available, you know, for consult uh, coaching opportunities or, you know, seminars, you know, there's just a variety of, of uh, ways that I can serve people. And this book is, is really just one opportunity uh, for people to step into the work and what I'm about. Brilliant. Brilliant. Sharon, thanks very much for joining me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I just want to take this opportunity to wish you the greatest success. Thank you, Jeff. I so appreciate it. And I will look forward uh, to seeing more and hearing more about your show as well. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening. And it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. Really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast. And that's a new page that we've put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course, iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.